What do you think about Psalms um, week one? One of the first things you said before we sort of started was you were um, surprised by how many times you read, like, what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) What does that do for you? Well, it reinforces the fact that I'm not the only one who is thinking from time to time. I need an answer, where are you? You know. (laughs) So apparently it's a common human condition to feel that way. Thank you. Yes, it is common. The the thing that struck me that struck me, I was I was reading this with with this commentary by 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 Walter Brueggemann. How often the Psalms are were used in other parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's that's I, I I guess I never thought about it like that. You know what's what struck me is uh, again I, I'm that's just my own personal experience. I really never paid much attention to the Psalms, or really I I just thought they were beautiful and poetic and. I was I did poetry reading in high school and sometimes that you would use things from from the Psalms, um, but um, Tim and I went through a separation and a really difficult time that I had there were some issues around my work and Father JJ said to me, open up the Psalms and read and he gave me numbers mm. and he said, before you go to sleep. Shake your fist at God and get angry with him and scream at him and read these things out loud. I thought at first, oh, JJ, what is that? That's weird. But anyway, I went home and I had very great trust in him and I did that. This may sound hokey, but I went, gosh, I can sleep now. Mm-hmm. It was, it was not. I don't want to say magical, but it was, I, I still have that vision. And when I read this, I thought, oh yeah, I've done that. And it works. Um, and it's not often that anyone would say such an odd thing to you. Scream at him and be angry. Yeah. Say, how dare you? I don't deserve this. Um, and I guess these people, and actually JJ said to me, the ancient Greeks did that. And so... And, and, and the, the, the early Jews did it. He said, and we just, in, in, you know, in the present or modern times, we have not openly talked about that. Yeah. Thank you. I think what, what you see when you read the Psalms, which, which, uh, which differentiates them from the other parts of the Bible, is you're having a conversation with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are you are you are speaking to Him, and He's speaking back to you, mm-hmm. which is, you don't find in, the, or at least I don't find in other parts of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, I have a, 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 a little problem with the Psalms. Uh, of course, I was raised Catholic, and back in those days, you know, we didn't read the Bible and so forth. And um, so, the, the Psalms have not been part of my life journey. Uh, once in a while, I have, you know, found a psalm that met my uh, desperation or whatever, and I've used that. But uh, I'm at a stage now in life where um, I use a translation of Psalms. Uh, it's called Praying the Psalms mm-hmm. Every Day by Nan Merrill. And uh, it's, the language is inclusive. Mm-hmm. And the language is more personal with God and more intimate with God. Uh, some of the, a lot, a lot of these Psalms are too. The problem I have with our modern day songs is I don't feel like we need to be praying for Israel or mm. Jerusalem. But if we brought change those names to things that affected us here in this country, people would think more 
Because when you read about applying it to another country, it's not been in, and yeah. you, don't, you know, don't really hear, hear much about it or care about. It, it's a difference. And so I'm choosy about if, if, when I, I pray the divine office every morning, and when I remember in the evening, <laughs> unless I get caught in solitary then. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, so I'll just skip those verses. And uh, for me, God is uh, male and female. So I don't like the his pronouns and mm -hmm. sons and things of that sort. And I change all of that when I pray yeah. psalms from the Bible. Well, man, Meryl, you don't have any of that. You have this beautiful psalmody, and uh, everything is inclusive. So, but that's just where I am. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not, uh, I think, so. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, is it okay to chase the threads you laid out and see yes. which are the ones open up just a little bit? Yeah. And one thing I think that's really important is about why these are so present. And um, it's maybe helpful to remember that um, at the time of Jesus anyway, not all Jewish people interacted with the Psalms. So there's that group who run the temple called the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. They were completely unfamiliar with the Psalms. They had no interest in them whatsoever. In fact, the Sadducees would not have read any of the scriptures we're reading. Um, the Sadducees read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, period. And probably have those books memorized by the time they were 13 for their bar mitzvah. So that would have been required. The Pharisees, which is this other group, um, the Sadducees were really about how do we worship correctly. The Pharisees said, okay, how also do we live correctly? And they were really interested in their worship informing their everyday practices. And the Pharisees read not only these five books, but read what we're reading as well along with First and Second Kings, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, etc. And they would have kept as scripture or been opening themselves to making the Psalms we have scripture. So you know Jesus was a Pharisee or raised by Pharisees because he quotes Isaiah, he quotes the Psalms. Um, so in one sense, um, our New Testament writers Paul even says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's part of why he uses these quotations. But one of the things that is so easy to forget that the title is really helpful is this isn't poetry. These are songs. <laughs> this is the hymnal. And uh, pedagogically, there is nothing easier to remember than songs. Mm -hmm. They have meter. They have beat. They have uh, melody as well. We don't have those things in translation, so we often think like, oh, this is a book of poetry, but it isn't. But poetry has all that too. Poetry has that too, but what poetry doesn't have that makes it easier to remember is melody. I, I can remember in high school, when I had, and I wrestled, I didn't run, but we had to do these warm-up runs, and I remember as I was going around the track, which I absolutely hated at the time, um, I would run with songs in my head. This was before iPods, you know? And because I was like very religiously geeky, many of them were not just secular songs. They were hymns because I'd heard the same hymns over and 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 over. And one of those, for example, is Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Now, if you didn't grow up evangelical, you may not even have heard this song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now see, I've had that memorized since I was about six years old, much more than I memorized any Bible passage. No, I memorized Bible passages too, but see, they didn't have the tune to it. So uh, these hymns that I grew up singing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. Um, what's that other one? Um, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. 
bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Do you know anybody know these goodies? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> well, you because you probably know different hymns yes. from the Catholic yes. hymn book. So what's important to remember is the Psalms are just songs. And what's really interesting historically is that some of the most important theological uh, decisions have been made when people used hymns. So maybe you know, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That's a Martin Luther song. That's a beer singing. That's a beer chant from a, from a beer hall. And Luther changed the words. And people memorized the new words because they knew the music. They knew the music because they sang it every day of their lives. So then they just got new words. It turns out that when they were making the Nicene Creed, uh, there were two positions. One was Arius, this tall, eloquent, totally black African, um, who said that Jesus was not co-eternal with God. Jesus was created, the first of all things. We decided that's heresy. But Arius, but Arius was very effective because he took his theology and set it to music, to popular tunes. That's what the Psalms, no doubt, do, which I think is probably why the New Testament authors quote it so often is, it was down in their bones like the songs we learned in church as children. So uh, what I think is really interesting about that is I don't think I know any church songs that say, where are you, God? <laughs> Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. We've totally left that out of our music tradition. There's just not many of those. Now, interestingly enough, looking at the modern hymnal, there are a few tricky ones that if you know the history of, um, it sort of augments the message. Just for example, there's a song in the hymnal, it's a Lakota hymn, the only one, called Many and Great. Many and Great, Many and Great are your works, O God, maker of heaven and earth. It sounds like a creation song, and it's, it's nice. It's got a Lakota beat to it. It turns out that I think in 1865, after Lincoln had been assassinated, a group of Lakota were essentially lynched by the government. And they sang that him, many and great, at the gallows. So if you're a Lakota person, this is a song of protest. So <laughs> protest for inequity and injustice. The words don't say that, but that's the context of the hymn, which would put it in the tradition of the ones we read, like, where are you, God? Why do the righteous suffer? Many and great. You know, and what's interesting about the ones that we read in general that are, that are like, how is this happening to me? They almost always end with, but I will choose to praise you. You will deliver me. And in that sense, the Lakota hymn fits. You know, uh, you, you can read a really interesting, I don't, it is well with my soul. Do you know that hymn? Yeah. Yes. I don't know if that's in the Episcopal hymnal, but you know, um, the author wrote that hymn after sending his wife and children to the new world and discovering the boat sank and everybody died. It is well with my soul was written as a reaction to that. Once again, if you know that context, it's almost a hymn of protest. God, how can this happen? But it will be well with my soul because you will deliver. You know, you, you, you kind of need both pieces. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We all know that hymn uh, that saved a wretch like me was written by a former slave trader who saw the error of his ways and became an abolitionist. And that's why he said he was a wretch, not you were, he was, because he'd been part of the slave trade. So in some ways, Amazing Grace is his personal confession set to music. And we found that compelling without realizing we're not slave traders in the context of an abolition movement. So often in our own hymnal, we don't have the context that might make some of our hymns sound a little more complaining <laughs> or a little more reacting to adverse circumstances. Um, and I think that may be to our detriment, if that's okay to say. Because again, it brings out the richness of protest theology and how is this happening to me.
Um, interestingly enough, there's a few songs on the radio that have been like theological protest songs. There's a group called Bad Religion, <laughs> uh, which, well, okay, fine. But, uh, but this made it on the top 20 Billboard charts, this song uh, called There'll Be No More Sorrow. And it's really a, like, in some ways, like a critique of religion, just like Imagine by John Lennon was. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Imagine actually could fit into the Psalter if you really think about it, because it talks about greed and hypocrisy. Um, I, I'm not saying it belongs in the Psalms, but it certainly could be in the modern hymnal. And many religious types didn't like that psalm because it sounds like it's questioning God, but that puts it right into the hymnal. That's the interesting bit. Mm-hmm. So um, helpful, helpful, I think, to remember people sang their complaints about God and because the, I think the tunes were so formative, I think that's probably why Psalms are quoted more than any other book. In terms of why we use them, and again, we've totally lost the musical setting. Totally lost it. You know, if you're a monk, you're going to pray the entire Psalter every week because you've got seven services a day. If you're a Roman Catholic monk, including things like Vespers and Matins and Noon Time, etc., right? You have seven. You, you do all 150 Psalms a week. Um, the way it's set up in the Episcopal churches, there's four services a day, morning, noontime, evening, and Compline or nighttime. Every lay person is invited to do these. You do the whole Psalter every month compared to you do the Gospel of Luke once a year. So the Psalms become these frequent rhythms, frequent rhythms, much more so um, than the others. It's interesting that you talked about, could you pray them as a community? The Psalms were the bedrock of the monasteries and the convent as well. I mean, that's sort of how it worked. So after a while, quite honestly, monks and nuns have these things memorized because they're doing them every single week. Uh, lay folks who follow the daily office um, start to get there after a while, too. And, and then again, they're memorizing hymns. And it's interesting to think, do you think that all of the hymns we know have good theology in them? I will tell you, for me, nothing but the blood of Jesus is terrible. Like, it's, it's vile and gross, and I don't like it. But I know it really well. And, and I want to say that's this interesting thing that I still find the music kind of emotionally compelling, I think, because I was raised with it. That was one of the songs I sang going around the track. <laughs> um, and I would tell you that I also really don't like Psalm 51. Against you alone have I sinned. Well, you raped a woman and killed her husband, so I think you sinned against those people. (laughs) I was guilty in the womb. I don't think so. I I really don't think you were. I think you were guilty when you raped that woman and killed her husband. (laughs) Um, so, So I think there's pieces in the Psalms that I can push against, just like there's pieces in the hymns I was raised in that we push against. And... One other interesting bit is about the context, right? Um, what about inclusive language and what about um, the change in circumstances, right? And, and I'll tell you what's interesting is in our hymnal, all the pronouns are masculine. In the Episcopal hymnal, they're all masculine. They are in most hymnals. Now, I would tell you, in the United Church of Christ, they're not. The hymnal is is extremely gender inclusive. Um, so it's an interesting thing that we... Um, Except we have to prayer songs to Mary. Um, those are still gendered yeah, female. Yeah, 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 they're still gendered female because that, be, that would be appropriate, mm-hmm. right? In, in recognition of her personhood as feminine. Um, but we haven't made this shift yet. I'll tell you personally, I changed the lyrics. <laughs> and I don't really ever say blood, I say love. <laughs> Nothing but the love of Jesus. That's sort of my thing, because I just, bleh, it's just gross, I can't do it. Um, we're gonna do one this Sunday that talks about the king being just. 
Now, in my head, I know what that means, is that the government should be just. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting thing to think about praying for our president, especially our current president, to pursue justice and uh, equity for the poor. That's an interesting song. And it would be maybe even all the more effective if we sometimes change the wording to say, raise up the president with justice, O Lord. Mm-hmm. Raise up the Congress with justice, O Lord. Raise up the Supreme Court. That would be really interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, we rarely do it. And I think part of the reason why is we say that Scripture is pinned the way it is, so we honor that by not changing it. Um, I'll tell you here, I make the Psalms gender inclusive because we pray them. Mm-hmm. If we read them, I wouldn't. But if we pray them, I try to. Um, the Eucharistic prayer, I change the words of because I'm the one praying it. I don't change them in print, but I change what I say. And every priest and every bishop and the church, I think, is struggling around how do we do that? I don't make them feminine, I make them neutral. neutral. You know? I, yeah, I don't make them feminine. What I do is I make them inclusive. In other words, where it says sons, I can now put sons and daughters. Yes. Children. Or uh, children is how uh, I would probably yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's all different choices. Um, but you know, um, I, I don't know that it would be a mistake for us to do um, for us to do competing genders sometimes and to balance. I, I don't know if you've heard um, there's there's a feminist uh, Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've heard this before. And the first line instead of says instead of our Father who art in heaven, it says our Mother who art on earth, <laughs> which is a really really interesting change. Um, I was hoping I could pull it up real fast and I didn't see it. Um, I don't think it trumps the Lord's Prayer. I think it is robust because, after all, isn't God both in heaven and on earth? And in Revelation, at the end, heaven comes down to you earth. Go, we don't go up. Heaven yes. comes down. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 Well, we're going to read that together, which is great. Yeah. Um, so and maybe one last thing to pursue is something he said in the video, is this idea that the Psalms talk about God's eminence and God's transcendence. So eminence means alongside with, transcendence means above beyond. And I read this great Jesuit theologian who sort of says, and this is a great image of the cross. The cross is this display of God's eminence with us and God's transcendence above us. Now, the Jesuit theologian, and only Jesuits talk like this, um, say, God is more present in me than I am in myself. God is more present in me than I am in myself. I think the Buddha would agree. (laughs) The portion of God's presence that I understand is God's eminence. God's presence that I neither understand nor recognize is God's transcendence. Now that's a really interesting image for me. And maybe, maybe the Psalms could lead us there when we think about God being present in our anger, our outrage, our disappointment, and our disgust especially religiously, because we're usually not comfortable with those, I don't even want to say feelings, but those reactions to life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a less presence. I am less present in myself than God, and all, all different. But that's, that, yeah, that's, It seems like it has to be true. And even there's this little pithy phrase, Charles Schultz. I don't like peanuts, I have to tell you. I don't like it. But um, I do like this pithy phrase, which is, um, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift from God, which is why we call it the present. (laughs) Uh, It's sort of this sweet thing. And um, 
what maybe one last statement about these hymns and what they maybe do. There's this very, very famous book in the Episcopal Church. Almost all priests have to read it to be priested. It's called Praying Shapes Believing. And you can figure out what the book is about already. The words we pray are the things we believe. And uh, by extension, I think singing shapes believing. Mm -hmm. And so does psalming. And I would tell you, as a little boy, I grew up hearing when we sin, we only really sin against God because Psalm 51 says, against you alone have I sinned. So sin is about us and God. Right and wrong, moral actions involves other people. And I think that's completely wrong. (laughs) But I grew up hearing it, and I heard it because it came right out of here. And some of the other bits, right, are those like, happy are those who don't walk in the paths of the, of the wicked. Well, I know upright people who are not happy. <laughs> so there's some cognitive dissonance there. And, and I think that's where it's interesting to like have a conversation with the Psalms, which might, which might mean push back and maybe nothing changes in the end, but it's more robust than it is just, okay, the Psalm says that I believe it. It makes a difference when we in, when we interact with um, the psalms and even uh, in Christian music. But uh, even when uh, we need to question sometimes the doctrine that has been taught to us, you know, uh, we've been taught not to use our mind. We check our brain at we, we yes. at the door and. We sit there like we're supposed to be this bowl that all of this falls into, and we don't really think. And but life with God is a very active interaction. In other words, it's, <coughs> I, I saw a sentence yesterday that said, "If we're so busy involved in the things of the world, when do we have time to give anything to God? You know, when do we even have time to think about God?" And John Chittister, who's a nun, a Benedictine nun, who is a prolific writer, and she even confronted J.P. too about women in the church. But anyway, she has this calendar that says, what you put into your pursuit of God is what you will get out of it. So the thing is, is when, I mean, I grew up in a church that said, uh, you know, you listen to the church. You pay attention to the church. But the, the, the relationship with God was not developed in the average layperson. It still is not. Maybe it's changed some. I don't know. But it, uh, it's, it, God is part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what came out of this for me. Because I was raised, reading, reading all of these together, I was raised in the Methodist church. And it was interesting as I read several of them each day that it was an interaction with God. Because what, and what I had been taught was, uh, or believed, or whatever, I don't know how I got this message actually. Um, you you didn't criticize God. You didn't question right. God. Yeah. You didn't say, God, why have you done this to me? Mm-hmm. You just didn't do it. Right. You said, oh, thank you for everything. And, you know, and what am I supposed to learn from this awful situation I'm in? And really, I didn't start thinking about that until I had a friend um, who used to... <laughs> she was... Italian and quite feisty, and um, a former Catholic, and she, she would get mad at God when something yeah, bad happened, yeah. and she would say, "Get down here now! You sit next to me, and I want to talk about this." Yeah, and that was yeah. just, oh my God! But and and she came back to me. As I read the Psalms, because I just, you were always thankful. You never, yeah. Yeah. never said, oh God, you have forsaken me. Oh no, he's always there. Because you're a sinful person. That's right. And how on earth could yeah. you dare question That's God? Right. 
because you don't have the big picture. And in some ways, that's that's what I think like echoes what we got in Job. Yes, but we did. This reminded me a whole lot of what we got in Job. What's I'm funny sorry. though is that at the end of the Job, God says the friends are all wrong, <laughs> and Job was right in all. He didn't. He Job did not sin in anything he said. And he said a lot of really awful things about God not caring. Um, you know, I think it, it, what's interesting, too, in the Bible, if you know this story, God tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, will you kill the innocent with the wicked? And God says, well, I guess that's not a good idea. And Abraham says, what if there's 50 good people? Would you save the city for 50? And God says, sure. And then Abraham has like a reverse Middle Eastern bazaar, he goes high and argues low. Now, you shouldn't do that. You've you got to start low and you meet in the middle. But Abraham, God meets Abraham's price, and then Abraham cuts, 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 right down to 10. And one way to think of that story is, how strange. Another way to think of it is, that's the first, one of the first prayers in the Bible, is Abraham saying, God, it's unjust for the righteous to suffer with the wicked. There's another story on top of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai where the people have the golden calf. And God says, I'm really mad. I'm going to kill all those people and I'll start over with you, Moses. And Moses says, look, that would hurt your reputation. <laughs> so why don't you not do that? <laughs> Let me take care of those people. And God says, that's fine. Go take care of your children. And then Moses ends up being pretty harsh, it turns out. But another way to hear that story is that's Moses praying and saying, God... You cannot do this. Now, in the Methodist Church and in the Southern Baptist Church, we would never have done that. We would have said, "God, um, your—it's funny. Your will be done." That's right. Which is an interesting thing that we'll pray for justice, and then we'll say, "But your will be done." Wait a minute. Justice is always God's will. So why do we add that phrase? Well, because maybe maybe then God's doing it for some other reason. So we're getting God off the hook. <laughs> it becomes interesting to think about these. God, it's really right for starving children to have food, but your will be done. <laughs> well, that's because we're not supposed to tell God what to do. But some of these are totally not afraid to do it. That's right. As long as, I think, we're willing to be disappointed. And I think the truth is, we don't like to be disappointed so we add phrase, but your will be done. When we know good and well, God's will is for hungry people to have food. We know that. <laughs> it seems that we are negotiating with God. Aren't these doing that too? I mean, consider yeah. some of the complaints. Yeah. Woe is me, but you saved my ancestors, so I know you'll do it, and then you'll be exalted. I mean, it's sort of like saying, God, I didn't study for this test, but if I pass it, I'll become a nun when I grow up. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that's right. yeah. That's right. But you know, you talk about negotiating with God. We are partners with God. In other words, God created the world and gave us the responsibility for it. So the thing is this, uh, nothing, you know, uh, a little while back on, uh, you could hear the phrase, what's the good of praying if you don't do anything about it? In other words, it's like, yeah, we pray, but then what's our responsibility in helping that prayer come to fruition? Maybe we can't do anything, but except we keep on praying. Yeah. But but it's a partnership with God, and because um, God depends on us to do the things, some of the, you know the things that need to be done too. I'm feeling a little lost in that um, God. I, I think. God gave us the will to select, to choose. Therefore, at the end of the day, it's really our choice, and He just is there. Mm -hmm. But but we have the choice of going one way or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, I I I guess the the He doesn't. I think He doesn't interfere, except that we we got. We, we, have, we have that will to decide what we're going to do. Um, yeah, but, but, no, but, no, but, but, but look here, last week or the week before, there was a tsunami that killed 400 yeah, people. Yeah, okay, and I... And so, I'm, yeah. so why 
Why did he allow that to happen? Yeah, and I guess I'm thinking maybe just of my own, of my own personal life, because that's the only thing, thing that I'm, that I can really be truly responsible for. I can't be responsible for you, yeah. although there are many things with partners and all that for other obvious reasons. But the tsunami thing, that, that to me, but, it, but I don't say something they did, it's, it's well, their fault, I, I don't Adolf know why. Hitler. No. Yeah, no. well, yeah, you know, I, know, did, I, I, I know. You know, why did God allow that to happen? Well, and I think there's a, another counter question is why did the German people allow that to happen? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's, I think some both in. You know, I think we talked about with tsunamis. Yeah. I mean, you know, tsunamis relieve the atmosphere. Yeah. In that sense, they're very helpful. Why didn't God create a self-sustaining atmosphere that doesn't need earthquakes? I don't know. But, but that's but what then, we got. <laughs> but then, then, we, then somebody else could say... But look at what we've done to the earth. Look at the shit we've laid out in the sky, and we've been scientists have said this is wrong. This shouldn't be doing this, but you're doing it anyway. And as long as it hurts somebody up there in the Philippines or I don't know in China, and it's not hitting us here in Houston, I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a song also. Does it bring us down to the uh, the eminence? Yes, I think it can, and I think it can also recognize God's transcendence. I mean, honestly, I think they do both things. Because because I think about back in the nineteen sixties, there was the what they call the the the, 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 the death of God. Death you know, of God. Yes. Yeah. Which was to which was to to bring him down here up on earth as opposed to always being up there somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so the this homes, I think, helps to bring that down to earth. Well, that's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought. So, and then, of course, you know, there's that famous Martin Luther King phrase, pray as if everything depended on God and act like it all depends upon you, yes. right? Which is, which is an interesting bit. Um, more than just in, in, it's interesting, yes, but he lived that way yeah. to prove it, and he put his life on Well, and I, and I think what's interesting is, even though we do have all this freedom, I, in my own experience, I don't, God is not predictable or, in a sense, reliable as to when God's going to intervene no. and save me from either um, the consequences of my own bad choices, which happens sometimes, mm -hmm or um, consequences of other people's bad choices, which happens sometimes, or even consequences of things like, um, things that aren't even right or wrong, like cancer, um, like people get miraculously healed. I, I mean, I sort of believe that, even though it's confusing, because I can't understand when and why and how. Um, so I think all of that goes on, but again, unpredictably. So I, I, I think there's sort of like this desire for us to understand, oh, it's because I prayed the right prayer, so what was that prayer? So I can make that happen again and sort of get God to do what I want. <laughs> and I think some of that's in the Psalms with the reminder that I think is really important is doesn't always work. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, you know, I'm thinking of still remembering Father Vincent. My mother was diagnosed with cancer, and she and this was this was back in when when did that happen? 1970s. 1970s, and she was. We were all called, and we went and all we went all over the country to trace down a corpus because the doctor said he has she has about three months. Oh, you know, she lived to be 94 years old. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 then you know I look at Father Vincent. He do, he doesn't know. He could live to be ninety four. Mm -hmm. But what what why? Um, so does it happen? Yeah. Yeah. Why does it happen? Why did, and and so I at the time I I think about my mom. It was everything we did. I mean there was nothing we could do. But she believed. Now she believed that she was going to be okay. She had this thing, and we all went, ooh, you know, the cancer's getting to her head. We, you know, but she just, like, 
And then she, she had these women come and pray, and my dad would have a fit because he lived in the house because of, oh, they were doing... She did everything. Yeah. She ate stuff. She was told to eat rattlesnake pills. I don't <laughs> I'm serious. She'd hear all this crazy stuff, and she would do all of it. And my brother would call me one day, the rattlesnake. Mother's eating... Uh, eating this thing called rat snake pills. I said, what are they? He said, I think they're just high in protein. <laughs> yeah. You know that. Sure. But, um, we, but we all let her do that. Yeah. But you know, now, uh, I have an interesting book on my shelf. It says, uh, uh, change, your, change your mind to change your brain. Mm -hmm. Because how we think forms our brain. Too. Yeah. So when she had that gut feeling, mm -hmm. And she believed it, and she acted on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she got well. And the thing is, it's, you know, is that uh, if, if things are not going right, I then stop and think about how am I thinking? Mm -hmm. In other words, am I looking for the dark side all the time, or uh, am I uh, trying to get someone to do what I should be doing? I mean, uh, and. Uh, I have to watch myself at this age. I'm 82, mm -hmm. and you know, I ain't what I used to be, physically, in lots of ways. And I just get so angry with myself sometimes. Because? Because, oh, I made it, I forgot this, or I made some mm -hmm. stupid, stupid mm -hmm. mistake, or, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, something I, I, I can't even, you know, my peripheral vision is not what it used to be. And, yes, oh, I, I yes. Did, you know, stuff like that. And uh, I have to stop myself because my body reacts to that, you know? Yes. So I have to do a turnaround and say, okay, this is the way we're going to do it now. And it's in a positive vein, you know? So, uh, yes. and it really does, how we think, change just for my life. Yeah, and I, I think you're right about that. Well, this homes help, uh, help us to change the paradigm of how we think about things. Yeah, no, I, I think that's... Yeah, absolutely. that would help. Yeah. My, my mom, when these, these women came and sang with her, mm -hmm. and they were doing so, I'm yeah. sure, in Spanish, they were doing so. I was not there, but my brother said, oh my God, my da and my dad would leave the house. He said, these women drive me, they make me nervous. I just can't, you know, it's too yeah. creepy-like. Well, see, they're bringing all that positive energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. but I, but it was, it was, they were praying, I, you know, mm -hmm. and they would all hold hands yeah. or whatever it is that they did. And my dad would leave the house, he said, because they wail and they, <laughs> I touch it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I don't know if you remember this when we read Daniel, which was a bit ago, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, won't you bow down or I'll throw you into the fire? And they say, our God is able to save us from this. Mm -hmm. But even if God doesn't, we will not bow down to your gods. And I, I think that's an interesting thing that sort of belies some fundamental hope or trust in God um, that sort of says, even in the midst of calamity, pain, unjust, suffering, I choose to think it's going to be okay. Not okay in the sense that everything's good and fine, but I just sort of choose to believe that, that God is somehow present. And I think that's an interesting bit. You know, there, there, there is this interesting other side, right, that um, small doses of hope can keep a drowning rat drowning a lot longer. <laughs> this, is, this is true, right? Small doses of hope keep it drowning a lot longer when if despair set in, it would just drown and, and die. You know, and I do think that there's some interesting thing. I mean, Viktor Frankl, who came out of the Holocaust, sort of said that's one of the differences between people who made and who didn't, is that they had this fundamental belief that there would be another chapter. Now, we know that doesn't always work out. We know there's people who are very positive and who think great thoughts, and they die. <laughs> Terrible deaths from things like cancer, or they get hit by cars, or whatever it is. Um, I do think these lament psalms, though, most of them, there's maybe one or two that don't end in a positive note at all, yeah. that sort of say these awful bits and have some fundamental hope in God. Psalm 22 is one of them, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then at the end, God's going to take care of the poor. Now, some people say when Jesus is on the cross, by saying the beginning, he's quoting the whole psalm. 
so that even in this moment of his unjust suffering, he's thinking about poor people who don't have food or justice um, and that God is going to offer deliverance for them. So his story matches theirs. And I think that's where maybe Psalms for me are the most helpful is when I find moments in which my, they represent my story uh, maybe more boldly or more honestly than I can. Uh, I used to work at a fundamentalist Christian school, and we were told to start every class with prayer. I'll tell you, most of my evangelical peers did not even do it, because when you're teaching, you just do it. I took that very seriously, and I printed 40 prayers and put them in the syllabus, and many of the students had a freak-out moment, because written prayers aren't real. They're not honest. Uh, you know, they're just going through the motions. And uh, maybe at sometimes, and maybe at other times, they give voice to our feelings uh, with bolder, more accurate expression than we could think of in the moment. And that's where I think it's interesting to think about phrases like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not be afraid. You know, I, mean, those, I think those kinds of phrases actually are imprinted in the American conscience. Um, maybe for the better, you know, uh, maybe for the better. Sometimes, of course, uh, we're not afraid. Uh, we don't fear any evil even though we die. I mean, I think that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, but obviously, words like that have been comforting to people not only when their loved ones have been lost, but when they were doing things like storming Iwo Jima, right? Yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Um, should we turn to some of the ones we read and see if you had specific thoughts or resonance or pushback? Is that fit to do? I just want to say one thing. Sometimes you don't even have to have particular ones, but but it's just a time when you stop. Yeah. And Jane, I had one. Oh, I have. I've got some Bibles in here. If you want another Bible. Mine's out of the car. Yeah, Tim has good. Tim has well. Yes. I'll look with Tim. We have the song. Fear no evil, Jane. I have. Oh my gracious. How good is You want a Bible? Yeah. You're in a church. Well, you're in a Protestant church. Well, it's a church. <laughs> that makes it. You will always find Bibles in a party. Well, well, you should. It, yeah. You well, should. You can find them in Catholic churches too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I. I you're just untouched. <laughs> well, good. Good. I, I kind of like to get my heckles up a little bit as a Catholic yeah. because it's yeah. gotten much better. It's gotten a great yeah. deal better. Yeah, great yeah. Deal better. And, and I'm just... We're just teasing. Yeah. We're just being I know. silly. I know. <laughs> um, think about the first one that we read. There's two ways, right? Happy are those who delight in the law of the Lord. They're like trees planted by streams of water. And think about what a beginning for the whole hymnal that is. That's your first hymn, which is trying to tell you that these, this hymnal is to help you meditate in and delight in the law of the Lord. That's a great turn of phrase though, isn't it? It doesn't say obey. It says delight in. Uh, would you like to hear the message translation? Yeah, yeah. Says, this is Psalm 1. Right? Yeah. It says, how well God must like you. You don't hang out at sin song. You don't slink along the dead-end road. You don't go to smart mouth college. Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked. You are mere, uh, you, you are mere wind-blown dust, without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take, and the road they take is skid road. Hmm. I have to tell you, I like this. The one thing that stands out to me the most that's really interesting is the very end of the psalm. God watches over the mm -hmm. way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's an interesting thought to think 
when we turn on lights, they always stay on, and there's no such thing as a dark switch. So even people like Haman and Hitler and Idi Amin cannot actually darken the world. They can just not turn on light, (laughs) but they they can't put light out. It's just sort of an interesting thing, because the way of the wicked will perish. And every day we do things, some of which are righteous and some of which are amoral, honestly, and some of which are wicked, and the things that live forever are only the righteous things. The way of the wicked does not live forever. It's an interesting thought, right? Yeah. Our sins die, yeah. but our righteousness lives on. I mean, I, I, I think that's very hopeful. Yeah, yeah that is. But, and, from, and also because even uh, when something wicked like Hitler, each person that was living under him, so, so to speak, under him, really made a heart decision as to whether they would act upon what he was doing or not. And there are stories, I mean, mm-hmm. real... Of people resisting, of the yeah. people that resisted. Yeah. And um, maybe eventually were found and, and killed. Yeah. But, yes, but if they resisted, you know, out... They did it out there where they weren't hiding from it. Right. Um, although they maybe t- took Jews into their house and hid them mm-hmm. and all those, those kinds of things. But Yeah. Well, but, you know what? The, 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 N, the NIV says at the end of this Psalm 1... Yeah. Uh, it uses a different word for, but uh, but uh, which uh, uh, all right. But for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Mm. Uh, in other words, that's an active thing that goes on. In other words, what what is yours in? The way of the wicked will perish. Will perish. Okay, but the way it leads to destruction means this that becomes an ongoing process that will make a person perish. Yeah. It's interesting to think about all those differences. It is. Psalm 2 is really interesting, right? Because it says God makes fun of the nations who think they're going to take over Israel. (laughs) By the way, Israel got taken over. (laughs) So it's an interesting thing, right? And God says, you're my son. Today I have begotten you. Talking about the king. Not Jesus. Talking about the king of Israel, right? Interesting, isn't that? We could misread that as American patriots and say, America is God's chosen people, and how dare people think they'll overtake us, and the president is God's anointed one. And I do think we sometimes buy into that some. I think we do. Even me. I mean, I grew up to be extremely patriotic. My dad was a Vietnam vet, but let me tell you, if I moved during the Pledge of Allegiance, the first time I moved, maybe it was even the, the Star Stangled Banner, I think I was moving at a swim meet, I was playing tag. I got grabbed by the hair. <laughs> because we don't move during those things. I mean, that's an interesting thing. I, I'm not saying my dad was, like, awful. I mean, like... That I remember that, and since that day, I have not moved during the, the national anthem. Now, maybe that's not good pedagogy, but I learned that lesson. And in some ways, that's in Psalm 2. Because there's something transcendent about the pledge and the national anthem. The answer is, there's not. Not in the sense of, those aren't godly things, but they do transcend our normal everyday bit. Yeah. And, if, and if, there were, if there was a family that did not, I guess I'm thinking about someone that would not feel that way, um, where do they stand? They stand down as enemies. I mean, that's the interesting thing, yeah. right? I mean, and I came here from a parish uh, mm-hmm. that was all top brass Navy, mm-hmm. in the same place the Navy SEALs are trained. Right? And we had no problem saying sexism was sinful and racism and ageism. But if you said patriotism could be sinful, people lost their minds. Mm-hmm. Because patriotism was inherently good because America, frankly, was a Christian nation and preferred by God. And of course, I think we have to challenge that latter claim, right? I mean, I think Lincoln said it very well. Let's not ever hope that God is on our side. Let's hope we're on God's side. And really, that's what I was trying to reference. And if we think that God is behind us when we do things like Abu Ghraib, 
then our religion is in vain. I mean, I, I sort of think, but that's a hard message to hold on to. I made this bad mistake <laughs> of, of preaching something like that. We had a three-star admiral who was tortured at the Hanoi Hilton with John McCain for years, and he finally died. Uh, he was in pain terribly, like John McCain was most of his adult life from the injuries he'd sustained. And I said that what happened to him was sinful, and that what was happening at Guantanamo Bay was sinful, and people lost their minds because I had compared an American hero to Americans imprisoning people without accusation. They just they couldn't say, "Oh, they're both wrong." <laughs> Um, they are both wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. And this is, I think, where uh, Psalm 2 can get in the way, is if we say, we're the new Israel, we're God's chosen people, the president is somehow favored by God, and in some ways, I think those kernels exist in most American people. And that helps us have devotion and loyalty to our nation, which are important things, but sometimes they can get in the way. Right, I mean, that's what I think. You know, that's interesting. I'll just say this real fast. When, during the Vietnam War, when it first broke, I, I have four brothers, but three of them at the time were eligible for serving. And I said to my dad something, I, I, I guess I've been watching too many John McWayne movies, or something. I said to my dad, oh, you know, the boys need to be, Ricardo was of age, he, he would be a great pilot. And he said, absolutely not. I will not have him go be a pilot and be killed. They'll kill him. And as it turned out, two of the two of the three did serve Vietnam, but Ricardo was on a ship, so he was in, in, in Australia. He 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 was pretty much in a safe in a safe place. Yeah. But but another one was was actually he was wounded. Luis was wound, wounded in Vietnam. But anyway, my the response of my father saying mm -mm, they're not they're, they're going to take my boys. Yeah, it was I just. Um, I, I don't know why that's that's so stuck with you yeah. a little bit, yeah. but because he he was patriotic, but not. I won't put my my blood, my blood. Yeah, I, also, I that war was not a war that we fought as in World War Two right. when we were attacked, or you know, or after. That was a, I, I want to say the word unpopular war, but it was an unjustified mm -hmm. war. Yeah. And, and I, I would just throw this out. I, I think being raised a minority in South Texas and my father having suffered, well, when I say suffered, discrimination and work, yeah. all that kind yeah. of stuff, there was a place somewhere in his heart was that, uh-uh, yeah. these are mine. Yeah. This is what God, and he was very, very Catholic. Um, yeah. So. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. You know, another thing about uh, when we're talking about government, president, I know I'm watching the clock too. Yeah, well, we got lots of time. Okay. We're good. But, uh, oh gosh, yeah. I'm sorry. For that. No, you're fine. No. Listen, this is what we're here to do is talk yeah. to each other. Yeah. This is not about you. No, I, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, anyway. Whether or not the president is God's chosen, yeah, I think there are two things, two levels we need to be aware of. You know, one is God's level, where God oversees everything, and so forth. But another is what happens on the individual, on the people's level, on the culture. In other words, whether or not God chose Trump, I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, this I know that by, by our loss of standards over a period of time. And the self-centeredness that uh, most Americans have, we brought Trump on ourselves, you know, because we didn't. First of all, people didn't get out and vote. Yeah. Secondly, uh, they didn't really learn about who who he was. Yeah, and they did not go into. Uh, they really, they were, they just didn't do what they were. So, I, if anything, Trump is our fault. I'm not going to blame Trump on God. Now, if God did it, well, we'll deal with that later. But, because Yeah, well, I think there's this important thing when, that, that I think is really helpful, hard to remember, right, is... <laughs> um, especially in politics, right? I remember people saying that Barack Obama was a liar or whatever, but none of them knew him. 
I don't know Donald Trump. I've never met him. So how can I talk about his character? I have no real experiences with the man. I've heard what he said, which I don't like the phraseology that he uses. But, you know, there's somebody called Madonna, and she changes her image every time she makes an album. I don't know if she does that of her choice or if that's her producers and stylists. And, you know, I, I am sort of convinced that um, political figures like celebrities sometimes have to play up things because it, it works for people. So how much of what he says is him and how much of it is whatever? And beyond that, I don't know what he's like. I mean, these are interesting things, right? I, in general, I don't think there are evil people. I think, in general, people are doing the best they can with what they have, or I want to believe that, even if it's really, really awful. Um, so these, are, I mean, I think those are hard things to hold on to. Um, and I've got really smart, nice people at this church who really like Donald Trump. And um, if I say they're dumb, then I think I've actually made the same mistake I think they're making, right? Which is flattening people out. So this is, this is all hard stuff to do. And I think Psalm 2 represents some of that tension about who's anointed by God and what's, how does the government work and what do we do? And I think, you know, there's times where we say, God bless America. I like that song. But we also need a song that says, America bless God. Yes. Lord that we love. You know, I mean, so I think it's sort of this both and, and it's not that Psalm 2 is always wrong. It's just that if it stands alone, it could be. Good news, there's 149 other ones, right? I mean, we, we read this Psalm like 74 that says, God, people have come in and burned your holy hill down. They've sacked and looted the temple. They're scoffing at you. Plead your case. <laughs> Take care of this, right? So that shows that that is a much newer psalm because the temple we know wasn't burned down till 586, right? So there's these sort of uh, bits like God, take care of your reputation. God's going to take care of the king's reputation. I mean, it all is sort of like robust. I don't know. I think it's robust. If, if there... Um, how many authors? We have no idea. And in the, the book did a good job saying that song by David could mean about, attributed to, concerning. So we don't know if David wrote a single one of them. Or he could have written 90 of them. I mean, we really, we really don't know. Um, in, in some ways that makes it so... I like, I like that because this could have been people like you and I that just yeah. sat down and, because we all have cap the capability to have some deep thoughts in our most private moments and if somehow that, that, that got put down and some, I, you know, I don't know how it all was gathered or where it was found or any of that, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I, I, like to, I like the idea that it didn't come just from one yeah. important person and I think it's really helpful, and then I think the question is, what psalms would we add? In some ways, that's an invitation. If a lot of people yes. wrote these, mm -hmm. what are our own psalms? Mm -hmm. This one, I just one last one, um, and we get to do these two more weeks. Two more weeks of psalms. We we we. I I, I memorized this song as little kid. We sing this. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. That comes out of Psalm 42, which interestingly enough is also as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs. For you. Remember, your soul is not like your spiritual part, that's your whole body. Why so depressed would be a great translation. Why so utterly depressed? And then the answer is, put your hope in God. And that's a really hard transition for somebody who's depressed to say, I won't be depressed anymore. But it is sort of interesting to think that often what helps people who are depressed get out of depression, at least periodically or especially long-term, is a fundamental hope in something greater than themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I don't know that the psalm says it's easy, but I think the psalm actually has a pretty tried and true remedy for it. And I can't ever blame somebody who can't make that move, but it's an interesting thought that it's right there. And to me, I, I may have already said this, but that... I mean, Priest Pastor JJ, when I was going through a really, Tim and I have separated, it was, 
Yeah. And, and I was in trouble with work. I mean, with awful stuff happening. And he said, just be, go to sleep. I go get in bed, Graciela. He, he gave me songs. Yes. Specific. And he said, scream them and shake your fist at God and be angry at him. How dare he do this to you? Because <laughs> it only works if you think God's going to listen. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, and he, I guess he believed that, that I would believe that if I did it, and, and you know what? I started doing that, and at first I thought, this is foolish, Father JJ, but yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And, I st I, and then I thought, oh, wow. Well, because when you, when, if you didn't yeah. think anyone was going to listen, yeah. you wouldn't say anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I have relationships that are so dead, I don't talk to the person anymore. But even when I've got just yucky things to say to somebody, in some ways that says, I believe in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Because if I didn't, I would just, you would be dead to me. Right. Um, so I, it's interesting that way, isn't it? No, there's, that's true in marriages, and I'm sure yes. I'll be with relationships, that, that I feel open enough. I mean, I'm not going to be mean or cruel, neither he, but you say, when you say, honey, that really drives me up the wall. Would you just, you know, and we have that honesty. Um, and, and then, I, then I, you know, then you feel guilty. No, I actually think I, it's interesting you said that. One of the like the most connecting things I've ever told my wife is, "I'm not sure I want to be married to you anymore." <laughs> and being able to say that was so connecting <laughs> because I'd been thinking it, yeah. and being able to say it, yeah. well, I didn't think it anymore after that. Actually, I thought, "Oh, okay, like thanks for listening to that." <laughs> it was really interesting. Yeah. We're still married. Um, hey. <laughs> Spoiler alert, next week, lots of lament. Lots of lament. Mourning, accusation, grief, and some of them don't have happy endings. So that'll be fun. Then, no, that will be fun. Lamenting in here in the very safe space with a yeah. small group I, I believe so. I, I'm having fun doing it with you. So I, I, uh, I hope you have. Thanks for starting the new year with the song.